Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 66 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Hosea, covering all 14 chapters today. Hosea was a contemporary of Isaiah's, also beginning his ministry during the reign of the Judean king Uzziah, and continuing through the reign of Hezekiah. It's also mentioned that he ministered during the reigns of Jeroboam II and Jehoash, both kings of Israel. His message, in fact, focuses almost exclusively on Israel's rebellion and coming judgment. Through the ministry of Hosea, God compares Israel to an unfaithful wife and lists in some detail the ways in which Israel has been unfaithful. All the while, God still loves her. Chapter 1, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, finds Hosea being instructed, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer. Hosea's wife gives birth to three sons. The first, Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. The second, Loruhama, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them. The third, Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. The chapter, however, includes these words. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. Chapter 2, another chapter well worth reading, is a heart-wrenching prophecy against Israel for her unfaithfulness. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. God then declares, My people have not acknowledged that I was the one who gave them all their material blessings, grain, new wine, oil, etc. Therefore, God said, I will take away my grain when it ripens, and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. The list continues with all the blessings that will be removed and the devastation that is coming. Then the chapter shifts. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. After this, His people would return to him and abandon their idols. Their land would again be filled with plenty and, God speaking again, I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. Chapter 3, another chapter well worth reading, by the way, begins with God instructing Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love sacred raisin cakes. The prophet did so, taking with him money and food to give his wife. This was to be an example to Israel of being reconciled to God. In chapter 4, God brings a charge against his people. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And this had ultimately caused the land itself to suffer. 
One telling line from the chapter, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. The entire chapter is a detailed charge against Israel, listing numerous ways by which they had been unfaithful to God. From perverse priests to unfaithful spouses to witchcraft to pagan sacrifices. God's assessment? The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Chapter 5 continues God's scathing assessment of Israel. The rebels are knee-deep in slaughter. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. In fact, God had withdrawn himself from them. Thus, they would not find him when they sought him. Then God declares, Ephraim will be laid waste on the day of reckoning. At the end of the chapter, God declares as well, in their misery, they will earnestly seek me. Chapter 6 begins, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. And yet, it's a fleeting response. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. The chapter continues God's assessment of his people's terrible moral condition with priests who'd lie in ambush by the road. In the middle of the chapter, God expresses this longing. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Chapter 7 continues God's assessment of Israel's moral bankruptcy. Israel, by the way, is referred to in Hosea many times as Ephraim. You've heard already the reference to Ephraim, and that's simply a reference to Israel. Speaking of Israel, God said, They do not realize that I remember all their evil deeds. Their sins engulf them. They are always before me. They are all adulterers, burning like an oven, whose fire the baker need not stir from the kneading of the dough till it rises. Israel's arrogance testifies against him. Despite all this, he does not return to the Lord, his God, or search for him. Chapter 8 continues the declaration of Israel's trouble. Israel cries out to me, our God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. God also rebukes Israel for her continued calf worship introduced during the reign of Jeroboam the first. Israel has forgotten their maker and built palaces. Judah has fortified many towns, but I will send fire on their cities that will consume their fortresses. Chapter 9 continues God's assessment of Israel, focusing in part on the futility of her worship. They will not pour out wine offerings to the Lord, nor will their sacrifices please him. Such sacrifices will be to them like the bread of mourners. All who eat them will be unclean. They have sunk deep into corruption as in the days of Gibeah. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. Chapter 10 begins. 
Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. It's also noted in the chapter that Israel's calf idol would be carried off as a treasure to Assyria. Israel would be destroyed. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. God had been continually urging his people to change course and abandon their idolatry and injustice, but they refused, depending on their own strength. So will it happen to you, Bethel, because your wickedness is great. When that day dawns, the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. Chapter 11, another chapter well worth reading, begins. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. This chapter also expresses God's tender love for his people. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. Chapter 12 follows the theme we've seen so far, God's rebuke of Israel's unfaithfulness. The chapter also recalls briefly parts of the story of Jacob, his struggle in the womb, his wrestling with God, even his life in Aram, where he served to get a wife. Even Moses is alluded to. The Lord used a prophet to bring Israel up from Egypt. By a prophet, he cared for him. In the end of the chapter, however, but Ephraim has aroused his bitter anger. His Lord will leave on him the guilt of his bloodshed and will repay him for his contempt. Chapter 13 continues God's assessment of Israel's unfaithfulness. Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of these people, they offer human sacrifices. They kiss calf idols. I cared for you in the wilderness, says God, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. You are destroyed, Israel, because you are against me, against your helper. The people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they have rebelled against their God. They will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed to the ground. Their pregnant women ripped open. Chapter 14, by the way, another chapter worth reading, begins with an invitation to Israel. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Then God promises, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from me. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. The chapter and the book end with these words of final invitation. Who is wise? 
Let them realize these things. Who is discerning, let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And that's all for the book of Hosea and for today.